Welcome to The Wall of Soundtrack, a show where we discuss the music and soundtracks behind the very best TV shows and motion pictures. In this episode, we'll be analyzing and dissecting the music and soundtrack behind Michael Mann's boxing biopic, Ali. Hey guys, just a heads up, I released a new episode for my other show called the Brutune Podcast, where I pair the Trogues Crimson Pistol Hibiscus IPA with the blues and southern rock band Alabama Shakes. So if you're a fan of the Trogues line of craft beers and the Alabama Shakes music, be sure to check this episode out. Ali is a boxing biopic that was released in 2001 and covers the life and career of one of the greatest boxers and heavyweight champions, Muhammad Ali. Chronologically, the film covers Muhammad Ali's career and life from the years 1964 to 1974. The film was written, directed, and produced by Michael Mann, who's also well known as the executive producer and driving creative forces behind the successful 80s crime drama television series, Miami Vice. Man's film resume also includes some of the following. Manhunter, Thief, Last of the Mohicans, Heat, Collateral, Public Enemies, and the Academy Award-nominated film, The Insider. Ali included a number of talented actors, actresses, and professional boxers, such as actor Will Smith, who played Muhammad Ali, Jamie Foxx, who played cornerman Drew Boudini-Brown, John Voight, who played ABC sportscaster, Howard Cosell, Mario Van Peebles, who played human rights activist Malcolm X, Ron Silver as cornerman and trainer Angelo Dundee, Jeffrey Wright as Muhammad Ali's photographer Howard Bingham, Michael T. Williamson as boxing promoter Don King, boxer James Tony as heavyweight champion Joe Frazier, Jada Pinkett Smith as Sonji Roy, Nona Gay as Muhammad Ali's wife Khalila Ali, and then Barry Shubaka Henley as Herbert Muhammad. The two actors, Will Smith and John Voight, would also go on to get Oscar nominations for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for their impressive performances and portrayals of Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell. My returning guest for this discussion is Cy Shackelford, and surprisingly, I've managed not to scare him away yet. We had a blast recording this episode. Sai is a columnist for the entertainment, commentary, and review website, Action-A-Go-Go. You can follow Sai's articles on the website, www.actionagogo.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Shaq underscore house 83. Here's my discussion with Sai on the music and soundtrack behind Michael Mann's boxing biopic, Ali. <laughs> Hi, nice to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank, glad to be here. Thank you, Andrew. So, uh, what's new with uh, Action of Go Go lately? Uh, nothing's changed since the last time we had the podcast. They um, we're actually actually no one thing has changed. We're in San Diego Comic Con right now. Yeah, Troy Jeffrey Allen, he's out there right now, giving us updates and making us feel jealous because we're not with him for this <laughs> for, for this extravaganza. But one day I will get there. That's the mecca. That's like the mecca for comic book fans and pop culture fans now. Yeah, I went to San Diego once and and stopped in at, at, at Comic Con. Man, it was it was crazy. Lucky, so, lucky. <laughs> yeah, if you ever get the chance, I hope you get to go. But um, 
I was looking at Action of Go-Go's website and I saw your uh, post, I think it was about a year ago, and it was the like slugfest with Tommy Hearns and uh, and Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler, yes. Uh, Hagler, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I had that. My dad, he taped that on VHS when I was a kid, and I watched it nonstop back and forth when I was a kid, and I didn't... I didn't really grasp the significance of the fight, especially the first round, until I was older and able to read up on more boxing, more boxing events and more boxing matches that happened back in the day. Yeah, and since the very intent of the sport of boxing is assault, that's an action and it counts as, as counts as action to go-go approved. Yeah, I mean, it was a total slugfest. I mean... First round, dude. Yeah, first round, you just hear... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Larry Merchant from HBO. He was like, that was one of the one of the greatest first rounds he's ever seen in his uh, career of announcing. Dude, that was that that first round was like something I see in a Rocky film, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, they would they they called that fight the war, and it lived up to its name, especially in that first round. I mean, Hearns with his long reach, he made Hagler bleed. Hagler caught Hearns with a few, and, and Hearns he was fighting so hard that he actually broke his right hand on Hagler's skull. Jeez. Yeah, man. Crazy. It almost kind of reminds me of that one fight with uh, Mickey Ward and Arturo Gotti. I saw that fight, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was like that was another slugfest where they just kind of beat it out to the end. And then, then they had another rematch. Uh, I think I think Ward won the first. Well, I think Ward actually won both of them, right? I think so, yeah. One of them was depicted in The Fighter, I believe. Yeah, and that was with uh, Christian Bale and Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. Yeah, I heard that's a really great film. That was really good. I also saw your trailer uh, post for um, Creed 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I did do that. I found it the day it came out. I saw the poster, excuse me, the poster a few days prior to, to the trailer coming out, and I'm like, okay, they're really doing it, but are they really going to have him fighting Ivan Drago's son, is I wonder. With the trailer, we <laughs> I got my answer, because he does. Yeah, yeah, and I guess Dolph... Uh... Dolph Lundgren is going to be in a, in that film. So it's, it's his son, right? Yeah, like, it's Ivan Drago's son, right. yeah. Okay, yeah. And then I thought uh, I actually didn't finish the the first. I didn't actually see the, the first Creed. But apparently Sylvester Stallone is like sick. He has some sort of... He's got cancer. Rocky has cancer. Okay. Yeah, and in the first Creed, he was eager. Well, he was just willing to die because he saw what it did to his wife, Adrian all the chemotherapy she went through and it didn't do nothing for her. She died anyway. Jeez. He just wanted to hell with it. Let me just go. But Adonis Creed wouldn't let that happen. Do you think this film is going to be better than the first Creed? I don't know because of the premise of it. It's like uh, Adonis wants to, it seems like he wants to avenge his father's death by fighting his the son of his father's killer in the ring. But it's like, what are you going to do that Rocky Balboa didn't already do 30-something years ago in Rocky IV? I mean, yeah. He already humiliated the dude's father in his own country, no less, and forced him into retirement, so far as we know. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And then I guess Stallone is directing this as well? or No, nah, he's not directing it. Ryan Coogler, he's not directing it either. Okay. It's a friend of theirs, that friend of Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, somebody they picked out. When, when is this going to come out, though? Make him out in November, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he looks. Michael B. Jordan looks like he's in killer, killer shape for that movie. I mean, if you saw him in Black Panther. He was in mad killer shape for that one too. 
Yeah. They even gave his he even gave his workout regimen for what he what he did to get in shape for Black Panther in the Men's Health magazine. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, speaking of the topic we're going to discuss today, Will Smith. I mean, he he was getting in killer shape, or he was in killer shape for this film, Ali, which is the soundtrack we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I think he put on like forty pounds of muscle for that. Yeah, I mean this this soundtrack, and let's jump into it. Um, right. It's 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 great, man. It's a great mix of R and B, soul, um, and then a little bit of rock thrown in there with uh, with the all around all, uh, all across. Um, What's it? Uh, that Bob Dylan cover, "All on the Watchtower." Yeah, with, with, so um, just a lot of great uh, variety of music, and um, so when the, when this movie is directed by Michael Mann, another uh, he's a great resume. I mean, Miami Vice, Thief, Heat, Heat Manhunter. Yeah, he's a creator of the Miami Vice TV show franchise, which also had a lot of great music in it as well. That was the first of its kind to actually incorporate music. Within the cinema, it made it, it deviated from police procedurals at the time because of its use of music. And the first episode where they use that Phil Collins song in the air tonight, that's considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, scene in TV show history. Yeah, that montage where the, they're in the uh, Ferrari Daytona and they're driving down, getting ready. Yeah, getting ready to to to, to take down the criminals. So, so when we uh, the movie, this movie opens up. Uh, the title and credit sequence, we hear the uh, opening of a Sam Cooke song called Bring It Home. This is the live version, which is done by David Elliott. And um, this is like an incredible montage. Like, I, I love it. It's like a mixture of Ali in the gym hitting the speed bag. And then you see shots of David Elliott performing in, that, in the club. And Ali's childhood, when he gets on the bus and sees the, the, the brother holding the paper of Emmett Till's face. Yeah. And then flashing it in his face like that. And that later affects Ali in adulthood, as we later see in the film when he speaks about it. Yeah, and we were just talking about that initially. The, the actor who was in The Wire played uh, Randy Wagstaff. Maestro Harrell, yeah. He, when he was a kid when Ali came out, he played the younger Muhammad Ali. And this was his first role in a movie, actually. Yeah, and then and then I think he's actually a DJ now, or DJ musician. I've seen a video of him where he shows his um how he, how he produces a song, and how he pretty he knows his way around the boards and around the studio pretty well. And and and, and what's really cool about this montage too is they introduce uh, Drew Drew Brown or Boudini, and um, he's like the original Flavor Flav, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he he comes through with some rhymes, some very outlandish. Saying some outlandish things I wouldn't hear, I wouldn't expect to hear a black man say at the time. It's like, I'm Jewish. It's like, you're Jewish? How, how are you? How Jewish? I call the Lord Shorty because he's circumcised like me. That's how he like him. <laughs> and part of that, I can't help but to think of Jamie Foxx ad lib a lot of that. Yeah. And I mean, he's great at improvisation, you know, him having that uh, comedy background from being in, in living color and, and being a musician himself. Oh, yeah. And I heard that I was watching the behind the scenes for Ali and they mentioned that. That house is actually Muhammad Ali's real house. Was his real house at the time? His childhood, growing up, or his actual house? I think it was his actual house when, like, uh, his a actual house at that time. One of his homes, probably. One of his homes, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool how Michael Mann kind of brings that authenticity into the to the film. Yeah, and Ali gave a lot of input for it too. Yeah, yeah, and and this song, Bring It On Home, it just I feel like it just works perfectly with that montage um, because 
it's a it's about persistence and we and it's about love and passion we see ali's passion when he when he's on the speed bag and you see that close-up where it's, it's uh, a close-up of his eyes while he's 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 hitting the speed bag. He's not taking his eyes off it. Yeah, yeah. He wants. He want, He's hungry. Yeah. The fo- the focus and the, and the passion he has in, in in the sport of boxing and even his training. Where what's it called? Where he's running, taking a jog at night, and the white police are behind him. He's not letting that stop him. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. But um, yeah. I think this is a really intense opening scene and and great uh, cinematography by Emmanuel uh, Lubezki. Um, I'd say in this in this film you're going to see a lot of great cinematography. I mean, I, from from what I read, Michael Mann actually put cameras on the boxers' heads, like these digital cameras, so you get some really intense close-up, like punching scenes in the ring, and um, just makes it feel all uh, more all real. Little, more real, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it immerses the audience in it because when I saw it in the theater back on Dece- back on Christmas Day when it came out, Christmas Day of 2001 when it came out. Yeah, I noticed that they wanted to give the audience like a really, like an interactive feel into it. Yeah, make yeah. them feel like they're part of the film. So the next, the next song is uh, actually not on the official soundtrack for Ali. It's no, it a wasn't. song, song by Moby called uh, "Memory Gospel," and you hear it in the uh, Sunny Liston fight, the first Sunny Liston fight. Yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of faded in when um, it becomes clear that Ali has the upper hand and he's going to win that fight. Yeah, he's starting to, to land some punches, and and mm-hmm. the crowd is starting starting to kind of see how uh, Muhammad Ali kind of changed the 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 tempo of the fight. He was Cassius Clay back then, though. Cassius Clay, yeah, yeah, exactly, but. Uh, Michael Mann has used Moby in uh, a lot of his films. He used them in Heat. I think Moby did a cover of a Joy Division song, and that song uh, you'll hear. You see it in Heat when um, Vincent. This? The, this is a uh, this is uh, in Heat. I was yeah. talking about Moby. I know, but what scene is that in Heat, though? I mean, it's the scene where uh, Vincent Hanna tracks down. Um, De Niro's character uh, Neil McCauley on the highway pulls him over. Oh, the, yeah. The furry, what do you say we buy? So get me a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's that scene where he pulls him over on the highway. It's a, um, Moby does a cover of a Joy Division song. I think it's when a new dawn fades, and uh, it's an instrumental. But then you also Moby does another song at the end of uh, at the end of the film called uh, God Moving Over the Waters. I think or like, yeah, at the end when Neil dies. Yeah, and uh, Vincent's holding his hand. Yeah, it's, I think it's called God Moving Over the Face of the Waters, I think. I, I, pro- <laughs> I probably watched that. But um, mm. anyways, yeah, and he also had done some some songs on Miami Vice as well. I think he did a remix of Patti LaBelle's One of These Mornings. Yep. So definitely used in a lot of Michael Mann's films, but this this is a really cool song to use. Yeah, Moby got more clout in the year 2000 or 99, really, when what's it called, when a lot of his songs... He had been he had been an artist on the grind for years, but a lot of his songs really back when I was in high school, when they started being used in commercials, that's when his star started to rise. Yeah, and um, I feel like a lot of his songs are kind of like moody. They're very moody. Um, and I like Porcelain. That's my favorite song that he's done. Yeah, I think he had he did one on the the Born uh, the, the Born soundtrack. Yeah, he which did a, which Born movie? The uh, first Born movie he did. Uh, was it this? I think it was. I think I know the song though. I think they may have used it at the end of the Born Ultimatum, right when he starts swimming in the water again. Oh yeah, that that I think it's that film. Oh, that 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 song that song was ill. Yeah, yeah. And they use it in the in Jason Bourne as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely has uh, has made his mark on uh, on soundtracks. Yes, he has, like Kenny Loggins in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. So then we we go into the the next song here by um, it's a it's again a cover a Sam Cooke cover. Um, it's called "A Change to Come" and it's done by Al Green and uh, Booker T and the MGs. Yeah, featuring them. Yeah, it's a live. It was a live cover that was on the soundtrack and also featured in the film. The scene where um where Muhammad Ali learns that Malcolm X has just been assassinated. Yeah. And as the song's playing, it's interspersed with images of X's assassination and Muhammad's feeling very distraught because he had turned his back on Malcolm X months earlier because the Nation of Islam they exiled they exiled Malcolm. Yeah. And Muhammad Ali just been given Cassius Clay just been given the Muslim name Muhammad Ali. And told him that, told X that you shouldn't have quarreled with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. Basically doing what he was told. But if he hadn't done that, maybe he could still see his friend again. And, the, yeah. And uh, I, I do think that the lyrics of the song, this kind of can be construed as a commentary on that, right? Like, um, I go to the movie and I go downtown. Somebody keep telling me don't hang around. A change going to come. And I say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back yeah, down on my knees. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of, kind of interpret those as a commentary on Malcolm X, you know, his his death and and how the uh, the nation of Islam kind of they stabbed murdered, him in the back. They murdered him. I'm convinced they murdered him. Yeah. So the song is called "A Change." Uh, a change is going to come by by uh, Sam Cooke. He's kind of, I would say, he's. Con- Considered the the king of uh, king of soul, one of them, yeah. And also check this out: Sam Cooke's original version of "A Change Is Gonna Come." It was actually used in the Spike Lee biopic Malcolm X that came out in 1992, and it was used two scenes prior. And the, the same day of X's assassination, it was used in the morning leading up to the events of it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was a very interesting parallel how Michael Mann used the song, probably, <laughs> and considering his. Uh, his Spike Lee's feud yeah. with Michael Mann concerning who gets to direct Ali. Maybe he did that as a nod to him or like a, a jab. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting how they uh, they included he included that. But um, it fits. It fits with the time yeah, too. It was yeah. 1965. It just fits perfectly. There's a lot of kind of racial uh, racial turmoil. You know, civil rights. Civil rights. Vietnam. Yep. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, we transition to the next song used here by, um, it's composed by Johnny Farmer called Death Farmer. And um, this scene, we it, we see this music and hear it in the scene where um, Ludini uh, essentially is in a in a apartment or his house. Some, 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 some like hotel or apartment in, in New York. And he's fell on hard times since Ali got suspended for refusing, refusing to go along with the draft in the Vietnam War. He got suspended from boxing, had his title stripped from him. Of course, so he can't pay none of his people since he ain't no money coming in. Yeah, so so Boudini, Boudini's definitely hit some hard times. He's, uh, I, you know, he's a heroin addict, and he has sold Ali's, one of Ali's belts. But how the hell did he even have the belt in the first place if Ali got stripped of the title? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, I was, that, that's what I was wondering, too. It's like, how did he get a hold of those? I mean, I wouldn't think Ali would even let him have one of those, right? Like, yeah, I wouldn't think so, nah, unless they're just throwaways. Yeah. But people will buy him because they know Ali. He probably sweat on it and got his fingerprints on it or whatever. Yeah, so he probably sold it for, you know, the memorabilia for some money. And I think he right. has hinted that. Um, 
He said he had, I think in the movie he said uh, he took the money and put it in his arm. So Yeah, yeah, I think he did hint of that, yeah. But um, I think it, it is uh, very well placed, the, the music, and it's... Oh, you can see uh, the the mood of the scene. Ali is just devastated because he feels like again as like his friend betrayed him. Right. And I um, mean, as much as Ali came across as egotistical in the ring and whatnot, talked all the trash in the world, he did care for his friends and family a lot. And then you know this this music is also used in the next scene where you see the uh, the Nation of Islam. Um, they actually uh, suspend him. Suspend him from, from talking at the temple, suspend him from doing anything Muslim related. So yeah, actually they end up kind of kind of turning their back on him as well after his stance on the Vietnam War and right. you know, him not being able to, to fight anymore. So so yeah, it's you definitely get that vibe from the song too. It's it's pretty pretty depressing. It is. Yeah. Um, um yeah, not just Fundini but for Ali, definitely. Yeah. And then um <clears throat> There's also another another song uh, that is on on the soundtrack. It's by Aretha Franklin, and it's called uh, "Ain't No Way for Me to Love You," and that um, that's played when Ali ends up divorcing Sanji. Uh, Sanji, yeah. When he goes in the hotel room, and what's it called? He's like, "What I got to do? Have no contact with her, then issue a public statement of divorce, and Islamic law will be satisfied." And then Boudini Brown was like. A divorced woman that, that took you to the moon? Am I the only normal person in here? I'm a black Jew. I'm half drunk and I can't read. <laughs> yeah, no, you do that in person. <laughs> well, um, yeah, there, there's the... I did notice in this film there are a couple of songs that man didn't put on the soundtrack. Like probably, probably the Moby one, the probably, Moby song. Probably couldn't get the rights to them. I okay, mean, okay. Because a lot of these songs on here, a lot of them, some of them are just made exclusively for the soundtrack. Some of them were used in the film, but for the most part in the film, they used songs that were indicative of the times. Yeah. Something you would have heard on the radio. Yeah. Or vinyl. And then, then this, the next song we're going to talk about is probably one of the best songs that's on, on the soundtrack. It's by Salif uh, Kaita. It's called Tomorrow. And this song is played a couple of times. Um, it's played... At the end of the, or uh, towards the end of the film, when uh, Ali knocks out Foreman in the rumble, rumble in the jungle, the whole like the whole end of the film, yeah, yeah, was, which is just an intense like slow mo scene where it where is. Ali uh, knocks Foreman out with an uppercut and then like a right hand, just a few right, right across, clutches him and Foreman just like twirls around. And Ali's just looking at him like what, 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 and he fall collapses. Yeah, and then you see that 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 scene where uh, that shot where. Uh, Ali's standing there looking down at him, and you see the butterfly. Oh yeah, right there. Uh huh. Yeah, that was super cool. That was that. Yeah, yeah. The, the the cinematography again in this movie is just incredible. And that scene right there, though, I mean, the music fit perfectly with the triumph of the scene with Ali get regaining the heavyweight title that was stripped from him back in four years ago. Yeah. And then, but I gotta add a side note to this in the movie, in the American Blu-ray copy of the movie, the commemorative edition. Michael Mann edited the ending of the film so that it doesn't show, it doesn't give like the, the caption showing what happened later, later to Ali at the end, at later in life. They just like commemorate his death, which happened in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, they just ended like that, ended right there like that. But I'm like, the theatrical version y'all have was better. Ain't no reason to change it. Yeah, he, he does that sometimes. He'll re edit certain films and release them. Like, he does that. With Heat, he did it, uh, did it with that. 
He did um, it with the Mohe- last Mohicans. He, yes, he did. He did that. Um, I mean, he's not crazy like George Lucas, but still. Yeah, it's like why don't you just keep it the way it is? Yeah, <laughs> ain't, no reason, ain't no need for him to change it, even if it even if it does make it better in some way. Yeah, I think he's just a perfectionist, you know. Yeah, he, he is. Probably changes his mind later on how he edited something, but uh, probably at least he didn't do what what's it called? Did like Ridley Scott did for like the Blu-ray for for a Blade Runner had like all four versions on the Blu-ray. Which is fine. Yeah. In his yeah. case. <laughs> a great director, nonetheless, though. No doubt. And then uh, and then we, we go to the next song here by Watchtower 4. I'm, I'm starting to think that this song is um, it's like the only song they ever did. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to think that this is like the only song um, they ever did because I can't... I didn't really find anything else on this band, Watchtower 4. Me neither. Me neither. I never heard of them until now myself. And they did, they did like, in Ali, what they did was like a cover version of All Along the Watchtower, which was originally done by Bob Dylan, but made more famous by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. They did a just, a, just an instrumental version of it. No vocals were included. And it was used... It was used in the scene where Martin, uh, Martin Luther King is shot. Yeah, yeah, LeVar Burton, he played Martin Luther King briefly in the movie. Didn't have any speaking lines, but visually you know it was him. Yeah, and the, the lawyer, so the lawyer before... Chauncey Eskridge played by uh, Joe Morton, yeah. Before that, he was talking to Ali on a, on a motel telephone. The same motel that King was assassinated at. Now, is that historically, that, that did that actually happen? Is it, or... Where Chauncey Eskridge was there? Yeah. I don't know. I don't okay. know. Yeah, I was wondering, I was like looking at that, I was like... oh. Like what are that, the odds? What are the odds of that happening? And, and is that the liberty that Michael Mann took? Yeah, yeah, possibly. I'd have to look that up. But um, I think the song is fitting. It's it's pretty fitting because, uh, you know, th- there there's that first line in the song that says, uh, there must be some kind of way out of here. And it, I guess kind of, um, it's kind of, I would imagine those would be like Ali's thoughts at this this time because he's he's in this predicament. He's not rock bottom, but what's it called? He's he's descending ra- descending rapidly in his, without boxing, his skills are deteriorating. Yeah, he doesn't have any money. He's trying to he's trying to get a fight, but he can't get a fight pretty much in any of any state. any state because his his license is in limbo. And then you know people are criticizing him for being unpatriotic. And opposing the Vietnam War. Yeah, they say he's unpatriotic, but he had a valid point with what he was saying. Like, what's it called? It's like, he, he said in the film, I ain't got no beef with them Viet Congs. Ain't no Viet Cong ever call me nigga. And like, what's it called? He's like, you won't even stand up for my religious beliefs right here at home. You're my opposer. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's a controversial, he's a controversial uh, person, I think, in, in that sense where, you know, some, some Vietnam veterans probably have uh, issue with him not uh, fighting not fighting but then again it's uh, you have to look at it in a different way where he did it's not like he he ran to canada or, or dodged no. the draft he stood like stood he said he stood his ground in the u.s and he and he fought for what he believed in so i think there's something very respectable about that yeah there is something respectable about standing your ground yeah especially considering the fact that when the war was over and the american soldiers were sent back here they, they got greeted with nothing but like vile and hatred, they were spat upon. It's yeah. like, really, seriously? Yeah, I mean, they, and they, they couldn't get jobs. A lot of them, some of them still can't. Yeah, that's just it was a, a terrible thing, but um, definitely 
has a lot of, I think, would say a lot of courage for stand, standing his ground, standing up for his beliefs. I, res- and, I respect him for that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I jumped around here a little bit. Um, I'm going to jump back to uh, one of the songs here by Alicia Keys. And I believe it was in the scene, it's called Fight, and it's in the scene where uh, Ali uh, gets into the car and, and speaks with Joe, Joe Frazier. Yeah, and um, a side note, Alicia Keys, she was a new artist at the time, too. She was just coming off the heels of her debut album, Songs in A Minor. And she was the first artist, mind you, who appeared earlier in the year on MTV's You Hear It First mm-hmm. on their news portion with Kurt Loder. Yeah. I remember seeing that back when I was in high school, and I was like, okay. She's dope. I got to check her out. Yeah, she's got she's yeah. got a great voice. I mean, great, great voice. A great piano. She's good with her good with her fingers on the piano. Yeah, and this is this is a really cool song because, or a, a cool song and also a very cool scene because, you know, Ali was very confident and would call people out. You know, when he would do promo for for fights, and I think he's done some of the best promo yeah. ever as a fighter. He the and also what's it called the way the way he would rhyme words together as to taunt his opponent. Uh, he was a precursor. He I think he gave a blueprint to pro wrestling and battle rapping as well. Yeah, and you know he he gets into he gets into the the, the car with Frazier. He's trying to get a fight with him. Yeah, and it's kind of cool seeing the two titans kind of there in the same car that close to each other talking and i would be expecting that you know they'd be, be saying kind of bad things to each other but it's it's kind of uh it's kind of civil to an extent i mean they kind of you see that they both have frazier and ali kind of have a respect for each other respect for each other and plus their camaraderie as in their fraternity of boxing i suppose if you can even call it a fraternity and like um ali gets called him out says everybody know you ain't the real champ Frazier doesn't take real offense to that, and there's still a competition going on with him. And despite all that, he does know that Ali's on hard times and doesn't he doesn't do this condescendingly or patronizing. He genuinely offers him some money, knowing knowing his situation. Yeah, which I thought was a, a kind thing to do. And it's reflected in the Alicia Keys song "Fight" in the lyrics where she says, "I still got love for you, and I'm still gonna pray for you, and I'm still and I still got hope for you, and I'm still gonna make my move." Yeah. So uh, that that embodies Frazier Frazier's mindset, I think, and Ali's mindset too, and getting back in the ring. Yep, uh, I believe the song is you hear it, it's fading in from the radio. I think it's like playing in the car. Or, yeah. Okay, that's it, cool. It does fade in, and plus Alicia Keys, she made it so that it has like a very 1970s feel to it because that's when this was. The scene took place in 1970. Yeah. So it sounds like something that you would hear on the radio. Very vintage soul feel to it. Yeah, and I didn't realize that. Um, Frazier's played by the boxer James Tony. Yeah, yeah, you told me that earlier. Yeah, and I was I was I didn't even know that until you told me. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. They they uh they they did I think a really cool job of uh, doing you know the the makeup and kind of making him you know look like Frazier, making him look like Frazier, making him buff and whatnot. And remember how they did? They had the real Joe Frazier in the first Rocky movie too. Yeah, yeah. At the end at, at the beginning of the fight between Apollo and uh and Rocky. And by the way, the Rocky movies, in case some of y'all don't know, that was inspired by a Muhammad Ali fight. Oh, wow. Yeah. What fight was that? Um, Ali versus, uh, I forget his name. It's a boxer from Jersey City. I forget his name, though. They had, I saw the movie for that boxer recently. Leif Shriver played him. Okay. Okay. So, um, the next song, R. Kelly, Hold On. Um, 
this song, I guess, in an alternate version of the, the cut of the film is used. Uh, I think it's the Joe Quarry fight. Yeah, it's using it's using not in an alternate cut in both cuts of the film, the theatrical cut and whatever cut that Michael Mann had on the commemorative edition. Okay. Only difference is it was shortened to the last 30 seconds of the Quarry fight in the commemorative edition, but it, it, it kicks in more noticeably in the theatrical version. Okay. And so... Like, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. And like and like the Alicia Keys song, Fight, this song also has like a soulful 70s feel to it as well. And 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 th- was this was released, was this an, uh, a song that R. Kelly had previously no, it done or this was done for the film? I think it was done for the film. Yeah, I didn't hear it anywhere else before that. Okay, okay. It may have been on his album, TP2.com, which came out a year prior, but I don't know for certain. Okay. And then we have... Uh, we have the uh, R. Kelly. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say what's it called? Yeah, the the song "Hold On." Yeah, like we said, it was used in the fight against Jerry Quarry in 1970. And what's notable about that is that was Ali's first fight, first professional bout at in like three or four years after he was suspended in 1966 or 67. And I think Ali, I mean R. Kelly, wrote the lyrics about Ali's determination. To not to give up, not throw the towel in, even though that's exactly what Corey did eventually during the fight. He gave up. Which is kind of, which is kind of ironic, right? Yeah, it is because... ironic, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a- another great one that, uh, that, um, that Michael Mann, uh, included in the film. And then R. Kelly would go on to do another song for the soundtrack called The World's Greatest. Which was a lead single for the soundtrack, yeah. So, th- um, this I don't think it's actually in the film. But. It's not. It's not used in the film. Nah, they they used it to promote the film and had a music video for it. And this is right after, like a few months after nine eleven happened. So there was a lot of American flags, pro American, pro Americana stances in the film as well too. And uh, it almost reminds me of what's it all with the with the American boxing gloves, American flag boxing gloves. It reminds me of the beginning of Rocky Four. Yeah, is that with the. Uh, um... Rocky IV was uh, when he fights Drago. We fight Drago, mm-hmm. but the um, is that the is that the film where uh, Apollo Creed he, he yeah, kills Apollo Creed? Yeah, where Drago literally beats Creed to death. Yeah, wow, man, and then, and this um, in the music video, I remember watching it, and you actually see kind of vintage footage spliced into the music video uh, of, of, of Ali. Ali. Yeah. Including, including at the end when he was given one of his famous promos, yeah, 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 and then, um, and then another another artist uh, that that is included on the soundtrack, but I, I don't believe shows up on the film is Everlast. Yeah, Everlast, the yeah, greatest. His, his I think his song was like the only the only hip hop song song that can be considered a hip hop song on on the soundtrack. I mean, Everlast, he was combining. Like acoustic, acoustic guitar with like rap lyrics at the time. Yeah, yeah. He was formerly, for those who don't know, Everlast, formerly from the group A House, The House of Pain, famous for their '92, '93 single "Jump Around," and later of the group La Coca Nostra. Okay. Yeah, that's where he's from. And the song "The Greatest," I think Everlast wrote it from the point of view of Ali's ego. And Ali was known for his trash talking. He talked all the shit in the world during, before, and during the fight, but. The way he carried himself in the ring, the way he beat his opponent, it's like, it's not trash talking, it's not arrogance if you can back up your gumption, which he could do in spades. Yeah, I mean, when I watched that last, uh, the last part of the film where he's in Zaire, 
and uh, he walks into the training facility and, and Foreman's walking out and he goes up to the drums and starts hitting the drums and he's like, the champ is here, boom, 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 <laughs> the champ is here, boom, boom, boom. Like, I was like, that is super intense. That like, is super intense. Yeah. And I think, I think Will Smith made that, made that, 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 that saying more famous than Ali ever did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of uh, Will Smith's uh, best roles that he's ever done. It certainly is. It certainly is. I did like him for this role. Yeah. I mean... I wouldn't say that he really embodied Ali, but he definitely put all, he definitely did his hardest to make it, make it that. Yeah. The, I think, I think he brought a lot of authenticity. And he, and he, and he worked with the real Muhammad Ali for this as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. Ali was 60 at the time. And he could still do the speed bag as well, too, which I thought was <laughs> real cool. Even though, like, considering you got Parkinson's and considering you've been retired for a long time, you still got it, champ. Yeah. It's just it, that's incredible, and, um, and he got the Oscar nod for it too. Will Smith, the best actor, best actor Oscar nomination. I think Lost was, Denzel, though. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 tough, right? Like going up against Denzel for Training Day. Yeah, Training Day was like the first time Denzel played a bad guy, so they they gave it a lot of attention. Yeah, but still to get the nod for it, I mean, and that's saying something. It was yeah. his first nod, yeah. Yeah, and his wife also appears in the film. Hey, Jada Pinkett, yeah, she was uh, Sanji, uh, Muhammad Ali's first wife. Yeah, so, um, and then you, we see her in, a, in another Michael Mann film called Collateral. She's one of the main characters in... Uh, with Jamie Foxx. Yeah, with Jamie Foxx, yep. So, uh, yeah, they, he, likes to, he likes to put, you know, include a lot of actors, uh, recur, you know, that have been in some of his previous films, kind of like Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone or uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, like if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, man, this film is, is, it's great. Um, definitely worth a, a watch. I mean, uh, it definitely is whether you're a boxing fan or not, if you're just a fan of historical facts and dramas. Yeah. It, this is definitely for you. And but if you can catch a theatrical version. Yeah. And I think it speaks miles to kind of the person that Muhammad Ali was, uh, you know, as a boxer, as a as a, as an incredible athlete, and also his character. I mean, you you see him stand up to uh, to the government, the U.S. government, and uh, you know when he's when he's deciding not to not to uh, to go to Vietnam. And I think that that's one of the key scenes in the film, or key you know points in the film where you figure out. Ali, he, you know, he he's not there's a lot a bit more. He's not not just a boxer. There's a lot more to him, right? Yeah, I mentioned my dad. He met him once back when he was in high school. Oh wow! Yeah, when Ali was like going around going around the country, the East Coast in the sixties, I think. I think this may have been when he was just Cassius Clay, though. But still, same person. Yeah, uh, you know, going back to one of the songs, I was just thinking about this now. Going back to one of the songs, uh, all along the Watchtower. When that's played, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, I didn't realize this, but um, Jimi Hendrix, who who did a version of that, he was he was in, under an investigation by the FBI, and so really? was, and so was Martin Luther King. I know King was, but I know Hendrix was. Yeah, Hendrix was. I found that out when I read the uh, read uh, the book about him, uh, Room Full of Mirrors, and uh, well, that's which is another great book, mm-hmm. um, a great book. But yeah, I thought that was kind of fascinating you know how how man included that track all on the watchtower um and, and another, probably a subtle nod to yeah Hendrix, subtle nod. Yeah. Hendrix also being under fbi investigation and and um was uh, one thing i didn't really understand in the film was uh was the cia were they involved were they involved in 
the Rumble in the Jungle match. Yeah. Because you see Bruce McGill's character, yeah, he's CIA. And I see him more frequently in the commemorative edition, though. I didn't see him that much in the theatrical version. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's like a shadowy, like a shadowy government presence, I guess. Yeah. That, that they wanted, that man wanted to convey to the film. And you see Ted Levine, who's a recurring character, or I'm sorry, a, a recurring actor that Michael Mann has used in, in Heat. And, yeah, he, uh, was, he was Officer Bosco, yeah. And more, most famous for playing Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, he's in the he's in the, the film, uh, has a small part where he's talking to one of the... Uh, Nation of Islam members. Yeah. Saying what they want them to do about Malcolm X. But it's like, it also, it also parallels what Spike Lee was doing with the Malcolm X film as well, too, because when X... When Malcolm X broke off in the Nation of Islam, they had white CIA agents following him all the way to Mecca and whatnot. And I remember them saying either here or Malcolm X, listening to, listening to Malcolm X on the phone, they were like, compared to King, this guy's a monk. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't actually know, I mean, that the CIA, I mean, the CIA was like, you know, looking into the, the rumble in the jungle. I, mean, I don't know if it's historically... They, pray, they probably would have been. I, th- I think the government, even back then, they're threatened. They're threatened by strong, prominent black figures. And Cosell mentioned it when he was talking to Ali. Uh, he said that they're afraid of, mil- you know, uh, mil- black militants. Yeah. And Ali countered. He was saying that I know H. Rap Brown or Stokely Carmichael. Both of them, both of them were members. Were the heads of the SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Okay. Yeah, both of them were heads of that. But under H. Rap Brown, they went under for good. Yeah, um, that's what I, re- I also, another thing I really liked about this film is the historical context, how man kind of brings it all together. Yeah, me too. I like that as well, too. It's like, yeah, I don't think you could tell a, tell a biopic like this without including the social mores of the time. Yeah, and you see in the beginning of the film that mon- that opening montage where he includes, you know, you see the bus and you see how the bus is divided by, you know. By color, yeah. Yeah, and then you see the Emmett Till uh, article when uh, the... Um, uh, what's his name? Maestro. Maestro, yeah. Maestro walks up to uh, to the guy that's reading the newspaper. And he flashes in his face when he realizes the boy's looking. And then that stays in Ali's head forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, this was great. Uh, really appreciate you uh, joining me again. And I thought this was, I think this was a great conversation, great film, and a great soundtrack. And appreciate I think it, we were we were we were talking about maybe doing Casino next. So yes, yes, Casino maybe next. Yeah, there's a lot of music going on in that film, Martin Scorsese film, and he has a talent for using old school music in all of his films. I think he really epitomized that with Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. The scene where Henry Hill's last day is a wise guy, all the songs that were used beautifully and perfectly in there, it's like, yo, dude knows pop culture, dude knows music, and even modern music, like in The Departed, when he used the Thieves theme by Nas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what I love too is he, he he uses a lot of good classic rock, like the Rolling Stones. He uses a lot of Stones, like he especially Eric uses Clapton or Cream. I think it's Cream. Cream, uh, Sunshine yeah. of Your Love. Yeah, Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah. He uses, he uses uh, Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stones in nearly all of his movies, I think. Yep, yep. But, uh, hey, man, well, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it, and we'll, uh, we'll do it again. No doubt.
podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast, Google Music, Stitcher. So if you don't mind, please leave a review and give me some feedback. I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm also on Untapped. My username is Brewtuned. This is Andrew signing off. Cheers.